Blog Talk Radio. Congress comes and goes, 
we have Congress people that have been serving 20, 30, or more years. Um, you look at the approval rating for elected officials, and they're at all-time lows. People are willing to voice their opinion about that. They're willing to say, I don't like what's going on out there. I don't like the system. I don't like the people that are representing us or supposed to be representing us. I don't like the crookedness of the system. I don't like uh, the way that the corporate interests are able to lobby on their own behalf. I don't like Everybody's willing to say all these things they don't like. And then the election cycle comes, and the incumbents win again, and we go back to our complaining. Well, things have been escalating for a while, and both parties have you know, come up to this completely ridiculous place. And this is my show, so of course I'm going to voice my opinion, and I welcome you to join in and voice your opinion. However... Uh, if you're going to bring an opinion into my show, you need to bring facts with it, not just expounding about your beliefs, because this isn't a show about your beliefs. This is a show about the truth and the human solution and our uh, role in that, in being a part of the human solution. And so I'm not here to tout the uh political bent of the right or the left or the center or the extreme of either side. I'm just here to say that Americans, as a rule, have been getting progressively frustrated with their government. And so much so that by the time we got to Election Day yesterday, you look at the two candidates and you scratch your head and you say, are you kidding me? These are the two people that came up as the cream of the crop. Well, they did, and we let it happen. And regardless of your thoughts about racism or whatnot, the truth is middle America voted for Trump. And the usual Democrat states, for the most part, voted for Hillary. And it was reasonably close. Popular vote hasn't been fully counted yet, but... As usual, it'll be fairly down the lines. But the bottom line is, Democrats didn't come out the way they did eight years ago and even four years ago. They didn't show up in the same way. Republicans showed up about the same as they typically do. We had a couple of spoilers. We had Gary Johnson out there who picked up some votes. And we had Bernie Sanders who stirred the pot up in the beginning and got people thinking about what they wanted or didn't want. But at the end of the day, we now have a president-elect who doesn't come from government. Um, I don't particularly care for the guy, don't get me wrong, but at the end of the day, this is what we have. So we now have a new president, or soon to be a new president, and we have to ask ourselves, now what? People are out there bitching and whining and complaining and walking out of their jobs and walking out of school and protesting. Well, it's a little late for that, don't you think, folks? You're going to protest after a vote in a free election? Come on. You know, why don't we protest ahead of time? Why don't we take action before the problem comes upon us? We saw this coming to us for a long time, and here we are. So I've watched this happen in city councils when ordinances are about to be passed or not passed, when bans are coming up. 
Nobody shows up. Nobody participates. And then all of a sudden the vote for the van comes and a handful of people come up and they voice their opinion. And then as soon as that vote's over, they don't come back again. Well, guess what? If you don't participate, you're irrelevant to the people who do. And I just think that if we were to stop and think about that for a second, put aside your issues with, you know, whatever you're upset about right now, why don't we stop and say, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, you got these celebrities saying, I'm going to move. Oh, I'm going to move out of the United States. Really? Okay, well, then do it. Move. But the rest of us who aren't, why don't we start thinking about what am I going to do? And this doesn't just have to do with who's going to be the president or who's going to be your congressman or your senator or your or your city council member, your board of supervisors, or your state representative. It doesn't have to be any of those things. But stop and think about the events and the people and the institutions that influence your life, and what are you doing about it? When was the last time you made a phone call to the White House? When was the last time you made a phone call to your congressman? When was the last time you wrote a letter on behalf of anybody or for anything? Well, probably members of this show are saying, well, it wasn't that damn long ago. Well, good. Then you're participating and you're entitled to an opinion. But the rest of you, why don't you try it? Get active. Activate. I had somebody call me up or send me a message this morning congratulating me on the win on our Prop 64. And I had a long conversation with her. And I informed her that I didn't vote for it. I voted against it. I thought it was a terrible law. And, you know, now that it's over, I can voice my opinion about this particular law, but I was against it. I, I don't want to be more taxed and more regulated. When was the last time you, as a citizen, that got taxed more or regulated more, thought that your life was better? You know, we have American businesses fleeing for the past 25 years as a result of taxing and regulating. We have businesses leaving California in droves because of our exorbitant taxing and regulating. We leave. We go somewhere else where we're less taxed and less regulated. And yet when it comes to, quote, unquote, legalization, everybody screams, tax and regulate me. That's what we want. Really? You want that? Okay, cool. Then you should be taxed and regulated. Let the rest of us treat it like a plant. That's just my opinion. Again, my radio show. I get my opinion here. I welcome you, though, to participate in this radio show by calling in at 646-929-2495. And if you have a question or a comment or something you want to add to this show and you're already on the line, hang up, call back. We have Mike Harris, our screener. Uh, today is uh, he jumped in, and I'm super grateful. Um, we're going to have uh, non-compliant Mary joining us a little bit later, but she's got a bit of her dream coming true today, so we're excited about that. If you're ever listening to this show on your phone and you say, oh, man, i got something I want to say, just hang up, call back, and you'll be able to do that. Uh, before we get moving forward a little further, I want to thank uh, uh, Bobby Rodrigo and the Coffee Party uh, for giving us a place to put this radio show on the Coffee Party Radio Network, where there is amazing programming all week long on this very same station. And uh, I will... Uh, probably go back and find all that amazing programming and tell you about it a little bit later on in the show. So let's see, we talked about this and that and the other thing. Let's see, where was I at? Um, 
the election. <clears throat> I encourage every single person that's upset today to hold on to that anger, to the, hold on to that upsetness, and wake up every morning and relive it and remember that there was probably more that you could do. That if you really wanted to see somebody take office or see somebody not get elected, maybe there was something more that could have been done. And I got a great idea. I got a fantastic idea. I don't know why nobody's thought of this one before. Why don't we get somebody we actually want to elect? Somebody who's not already tried and failed a dozen times. Somebody who has a broad understanding of world politics and 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 points and places that are relevant somebody who can stand up on that on that world stage why don't we raise that person up and say we got 4 years to do this in 4 years a grassroots movement <clears throat> could raise up anybody any single person we could do it but we need to have somebody not only willing to step up and be scrutinized and torn apart by this horrible, uh, you know, system that we have that will do just that. But we also need a community that's willing to stand up and, and, and get around this person. So, you know, here we are. We haven't even begun this new uh, cycle, but we have the ability to change it right now. So let's think about who that person might be. Uh, maybe it's just a congressman. Maybe it's your state uh, elected official. Maybe it's a senator. But let's think about raising somebody up instead of just complaining about who's here. Now, one last point I want to bring up, and this is something that really kind of torques me, and it's another elephant in the room. Today's a show about elephants in the room. Both sides complain about the media. Trump was complaining about the media's attention and, and, uh, you know, how they were really just trying to get Hillary elected. And, of course, Hillary has problems with, uh, you know, the media machine pointing out things about her. And everybody has issues with the media. But I I ask you to be objective. And I watched the election coverage yesterday. And I watched virtually every channel I could find. I wanted to see how this really was. Because I, frankly, don't spend a lot of time watching the mainstream media. I don't know who these people are. I'm not well-versed in mainstream media sources, so I said, I'm just going to sit here and watch this for a minute. And I watched it, and I was actually appalled. And I think that if you were to take an objective observer and you were to take and show footage of this election coverage and you were to put a green screen behind it and you were to turn off the sound and just watch the people that are supposed to be journalists reporting on an international event, and you watch them. You watch their facial expressions, their body language. You watch the way they were reacting. And you try to tell me that they weren't biased in one side or another. I don't think you could do it and be honest. Put the, put the green screen behind them, turn off the sound, and just watch them. Okay? And so the reality is, is if we do have biased media on both sides, where's the journalism? Where's the true actual reporting? If everything that's coming out of these people have an agenda to promote or, or oppose something, whatever happened to journalism? Whatever happened to reporting of the facts as they happen? 
without a bias. I thought that was what journalism was supposed to be about. But we have to go to alternative sources to get any of that. And unfortunately, even in most of the alternative sources, people are coming from a point of view. So I, I say again, another major problem. Why doesn't anybody talk about this? Why doesn't anybody have major issue with this? I bet you if enough of us did, they would be firing these producers that are allowing this to happen. But we've turned everything into a reality show, and now we have a reality show host as a president. So good job, America. Um, but we can do better, and it's not too late. We can always start now, and, you know, tomorrow will come. All right, let's go on to the next little bit here. Um, Greg Cecil did not join us last week. I'm hoping he does join us this week. And uh, if he does, he'll probably be joining us very shortly. Um, so we always make room for that. We have a case that we've been supporting, um, and the defendant's name is Chris Lewandowski. He's a 10-year Marine veteran. Uh, we talked about uh, the case where we went to Oklahoma, and the judge granted uh, his motion to and go on to a jury trial. Uh, we also talked about uh, the prosecutor, how the prosecutor got all upset, filed more charges. Uh, somebody in the courtroom apparently uh, had an audio recording of what happened, turned it over to a reporter, <clears throat> and um, we're, we've gotten coverage about that. Um, there's been a backlash, but at the end of the day, um, we've explained that it's better to deal with Whatever's going to be up in front of us now, uh, the allegations of, of, you know, spousal abuse and violence and knives and all of this crazy stuff, uh, it's better to deal with it up front than to have it show up in court. Nobody was aware of it. Um, it's all that's, So that's, that's being done. Nick Scow from the Orange County Weekly did an did a article, and he's going to be doing more. Uh, Bobby Rodrigo is also going to be covering the case and, and uh, not – from Chris's perspective, but from the court, you know, from a, a non-biased journalist perspective. Um, but what's happened since this time uh, is an amazing bit of news. Uh, there's an attorney by the name of Michael Minardi, and although I haven't spoken with him yet, I'm going to be meeting with him on the 17th in Nevada, um, but you know, I have it on good authority that he has agreed to jump in and take on the case from a medical necessity defense point of view. Now, this is something that we don't know if we're even going to get. Uh, we had sort of a, uh, I don't know, we had a conference call, and there was a, an individual who just was dead set that this was going to happen. But the reality of this is a medical necessity defense is something that gets motioned for, and the court, meaning the judge, is either going to grant or not. We haven't come to that point yet. But if it turns out that the judge does grant this, um, Michael Minardi from Florida is going to come in and under a, what they call pro hoc vice, uh, where uh, an attorney that has a license in one state uh, comes in as a second seat counsel uh, under an attorney who is licensed in the state. So we have Tom Haney, the attorney in Oklahoma, and then we'll have Michael Minardi sitting as a second chair. Um, this could be a huge change in the dynamic in the courtroom. Um, more often than not, you have a hot-headed prosecutor who's been around the block a few times and is used to wa wiping up, you know, the floor with people's cases. 
every once in a while a hotshot attorney will come in and give him a run for his money. Um, but every once in a great while, a team of attorneys will get together and present a formidable uh, defense. And uh, oftentimes it changes the way the prosecutors will look at the case. So our hope is that that will happen. There's still plenty of time for uh, the prosecutor to change his mind. Uh, just say, you know what, never mind, I don't want to go up against this. Prosecutors don't like to lose. And if this prosecutor thinks he's going to, who knows? It's entirely possible that he'll walk away. But even if he doesn't, having Michael Minardi on the team uh, is is a huge benefit. But we're still stuck with uh, a giant legal bill. We've got to come up with near $20,000 for Tom, and uh, we've got a lot of work to do. So what we've done in the interim is the Human Solution has locked arms with uh, another advocacy group by the name of Wheat for Warriors, and um, We've officially joined forces, and we've launched what we call the 420 Division. Uh, we just put a press release out about this yesterday, and um, the goal is it's a grassroots effort. We believe that there are likely thousands, tens of thousands of people that support veterans' rights, that support what this is really about. This is not a case about cannabis. This is a case about oppression. This is a case about civil rights. This is a case about veterans' rights and this is a case about right and wrong and we have a man chris lewandowski who's willing to stand up and put his case as the tip of the spear not for only himself he actually puts himself at great risk but he's doing this to make a change to make an effort okay remember what we talked about at the beginning of the show you may be quizzed about this but we talked about making a change before it's too late well guess what folks here's an opportunity this is an opportunity for you to step up and participate. You can participate in a number of different ways, but simply donating $4.20 um, and telling other people to do the same, if we get enough of these $4.20 out there, or $42 or $420, any increment of that, uh, we get enough of these together, and all of a sudden it's going to be a different point of view for Chris. Right now he's got a few thousand dollars been raised and a long way to go in a couple of months to do it. Um, so this is something that everybody can do without it being a major hardship. Um, imagine if it was a tax or a regulation fee uh, and you were just so happy to get it. Uh, well, consider this a freedom tax. Consider this a, a, a regulation to ensure that human beings get their basic civil rights afforded to them as we all should that's entirely a possibility and so i encourage you to participate we have a page set up on the human solution website which is thsintl.org and remember we are a 501c3 federally recognized civil rights organization and every dollar that is donated right now until we get this money raised is going to be put towards Chris's legal defense. And remember, all of the donations are a tax write-off. So we're coming up to the end of the year. There's a lot of cannabis businesses that, as much as it might be legal in your state, guess what? Your federal tax return, you cannot deduct a penny towards any of your business deductions, as you might if you're in a cannabis business. But you can donate to a federally recognized 501c3 and get that deduction. So this is an opportunity to take advantage of a fully compliant 
organization, fully transparent with our books, and we've agreed to take on this case without any admin fees, so 100% of your donations will go to the uh, Legal Defense Fund. Um, okay, so that's Chris Lewandowski. He may be joining us a little bit later, uh, probably in, a, in an upcoming show for sure. Let's talk about California. We got, I think, three states voted recreational cannabis. Uh, Nevada, Massachusetts, California. Um, you know, there was a lot of hoopla about California's Prop 64. Well, you can insert whatever your state's um, initiative is. Now, we've already had discussion about taxes and regulations, so I'm not going to beat that into the ground. I am going to mention it again, though. California passed a law in 1996, that's 20 years ago, that allowed for the cultivation, possession, transportation, distribution um, of cannabis for reasonable use of patients and to collectively or cooperatively produce this between patients. And it was very vaguely written, and the reason it was vaguely written, because the law is supposed to be interpreted in an, if there's ever a doubt, if, if the law is vague on any specific point, it is supposed to be interpreted um, for the benefit of the defendant. And so the authors, the, the architects of this law, thought about that, and they said, well, if we write it vague and it covers what we think we need, if there's a doubt, they have to, you know, fail on the side of the defendant. Well, unfortunately, as we have discovered in the last 20 years in California, that absolutely has not happened. In fact, the very opposite of that has happened. Case in point, um, today's date, 2011, or it might have been yesterday, 2011, I was in trial. Um, Pre-trial, the prosecution had filed a motion to deny my medical defense. And this is something that typically happens, and typically the judge denies the motion because California law says all qualified patients are allowed to do these things, and they're entitled to an affirmative defense. They don't have immunity of the law. They're just entitled to an affirmative defense. And if the defense can be raised that says you're compliant to this initiative, then a jury should find you got not guilty. Um, so it's not an immunity, it's not a true protection, but it is an affirmative defense. Well, the judge in my case, Charles Sheldon, decided, no, I don't get that. Well, imagine how upset I was. Imagine how shocked I was. And imagine how I woke up and realized that things aren't always what they appear to be in this place. And just because there's a law that's supposed to protect you, doesn't mean it's going to. So it's really important that everybody realize that, you know, everybody who was duped, and I'll say it right now, I hope to be wrong. You know what, I would hope to eat a friggin' crow pie because somehow this law miraculously released all the prisoners and stopped everybody from getting busted. But it hasn't happened in Colorado, and it hasn't happened in Washington, and it hasn't happened in Oregon, but who knows? Maybe this time it will. Okay, so my vote is that we made a mistake, and the reason why I call it a mistake is because now that we have it, 
what do you think the odds of anybody raising the money up to repeal it? It's likely not going to happen. It's likely people are going to put up with the bullshit. People are going to put up with the taxes, and they're going to say, well, it's better than it was, so we're just going to go ahead and be okay with it. Well, guess what, folks? My job is to end prohibition. The human solution isn't about regulating, taxing, legalizing, anything. It's about ending prohibition. It's about creating a world where you don't get, you don't risk getting locked up for a plant. And actually, you shouldn't have to worry about getting locked up for any nonviolent criminal offense. Today, I had a guy that told me, well, all of the pot laws now are a civil violation and a $20,000 fine. I says, really? Well, then, if that's the case, then probably all the cases that we're supporting right now, including the cases that I just got calls on last couple of days, um, are going to end up being settled. They're going to just disappear. These cases that are set for trial right now probably just going to go away. Well, we'll see. We will see what happens. We'll see. The raids are probably going to stop, right? They'll stop raiding. There was a record number of raids this year all over California. They didn't raid everywhere. Some places that they raided last year, they didn't raid this year. Southern California, they tore up. They raided all over the place in Southern California. So I just beg to differ with the idea that the law that we passed is in our best interest. Okay, um, time to get to the topic here. We're going to talk about another elephant in the room. Cannabis is a plant. It's a plant that potentially holds a miracle cure or it might have um, a miracle effect. It might alleviate any number of symptoms. It's got incredible healing powers and potentials. But most importantly, regardless of all, if all it ever did was make you feel better, uh, get a little appetite, or help you sleep, even if that's the only thing it did, it has never killed anybody. Its side effects, unless you're chemically allergic to it, which some people are, is a general feeling of well-being. You might get a little groggy and you might get a little hungry. These are the side effects. Uh, you might get a little cotton mouth. Well, that happens with virtually every every uh, every drug, even over-the-counter drugs, give you a little cotton mouth. Um, but the bottom line is, to date, there have been no fatalities. There's no LD50. There's no point at which Cannabis has a legal, a lethal dose, or at least not an amount that you could actually consume. Yes, of course, you could consume some amount that would kill you, but it's such a huge number that nobody could potentially, could possibly even kill it. You don't have CB1, CB2 receptors in your brainstem. So no matter how high you get, no matter how sleepy you get, no matter how out of it you feel, no matter how whatever the worst-case scenario is, your autonomic system will not shut down. Your heart will not stop beating. Your lungs will not stop breathing. You will not stop functioning. Your organs will continue to function, unlike opiates. Okay? You can die of an opiate overdose. Hell, people do all the time. Why do you, people die from heroin overdoses? Because you don't ever know what it's dosed. You don't know how many times it's been cut. Somebody 
might have uh, been doing heroin for 10 years, get sourced from the same guy, uh, goes on vacation, gets sourced from another guy, it's not cut, shoots the same amount as he normally does, and boom, you're dead. Okay, because you just got a massive overdose. There's all kinds of problems with opiates. Opiates are such a problem that uh, there's even uh, experimental drug Chinese knockoffs that are coming into America right now, unregulated, single-molecule isomers that are just a hair off of existing known opiates. And you can buy them. You can go online and buy them, and they're not regulated. They get shipped to your door, and you can shoot it in your veins and die. You can smoke it and die. You can snort it and die. You can die so many ways from this stuff. Um, most people that get into opiates do so through no fault of their own. You get an injury. You get a disease that causes pain. You have some condition that you have to deal with pain management. And the first course of modern medicine is an opiate. Um, and they'll tell you right off the bat, you're going to end up getting addicted to this stuff, but this is what we're going to do. And it's okay. It's okay if you're addicted to it. They'll t doctors will tell you that straight up, especially if you're getting a little up in age. It's the only thing we got. And they'll give you one, they'll give you another, they'll give you a dozen different kinds. Um, you know, lately they've been cracking down on doctors for over-prescribing, and then people go turn to the street because it's cheaper to get heroin on the street than it is to get a prescription for Oxycontin. So that's also happening. The bottom line is, is if you get an operation, if you break a bone, if you hurt yourself, if you have a chronic pain issue, you're going to get prescribed opiates. And they're legal. They're going to be given to you by your doctor, your healthcare professional that you pay to trust and to receive counsel from. You go to him to find out, what do I do? I hurt. I'm sick. I'm afraid I'm, you know, this is going to get worse. What should I do? You go to this professional, and he says, well, based on my training and experience, I diagnose you with this issue, and here's what I recommend as a course of action. Here's a prescription. Take these pills and come back and see me in a couple of weeks. Meanwhile, you take the pills, you feel a little better. A week later, you take the pills, it doesn't help. So he says, ah, go ahead, up your dose, because you're developing a tolerance to it. Um, sometimes people don't like the way they feel, so they give them a different version. There's a number of versions of opiates. The problem is this is legal. This is okay. This is medically, legally, every way that you could imagine, okay, just like alcohol. In fact, it's okay legally to take opiates and drink alcohol at the same damn time. It's just fine. Everybody's cool with it. The judge and his wife will do that all day long because it's legal. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We've got a couple of guests here that are going to come and talk about opiate problems, and we're going to talk about cannabis and how does that juxtapose to, to this. So first up we have Lisa Wildridge. Lisa Wildridge um, is a breast cancer survivor. Um, she's a dear friend of ours, and she's recently become the Human Solutions Vice President. And she's stepped up um, in an incredible way from the time that I met her until now. Um, it's just kind of been a night and day experience, and I've watched uh, cannabis uh, be a huge part of her healing process and her, um, you know, building her 
self-confidence as well as uh, rebuilding her body. So uh, she's got quite a story to tell. And uh, without any further ado, we have the Human Solution Vice President, Lisa Wildridge. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm actually pretty excited, and I feel pretty honored. So um, thank well, you for having me before, on. Why and... don't you jump right on into it? Tell us what's going on. Uh, first of all, let's talk about um, your vice presidency, since we're just coming through an election cycle. Uh, we had an election cycle recently with the Human Solution, and uh, you were indeed elected to be our vice president. And I heard not a single complaint Uh, One person came back to me and said, oh, we should have voted for somebody else. Well, so that's good. That means our process must have been uh, complete and effective and clearly better than the process that we use uh, for the general election here in the United States of America. So what do you have to say for yourself? Well, I know that our members are not cannabinoid deficient, so that's probably why they made the, you know, there's no... They don't raise any issues. But anyway, uh, I, I'm i a cancer survivor, so um, I don't want the cancer oh, to Oh, you know what? Back. Here's Craig Cecil. Let's go ahead and pause. Yes, yes. Go do I'm Craig. I'm a cancer yes. survivor, and we're going to bring Craig up. And then we're going to put you on right afterward, okay? Absolutely. I'll be here. In Inmate at Federal Prison, this call is being recorded and is subject to monitoring. Hang up to decline the call or to accept. Dial 5 now. Craig Cecil, how are you doing today? Hello, Joe. How's it going? Well, I'm here in Terre Haute, Indiana. <laughs> it's well, dark tonight. We missed you last week. Uh, what happened? Oh, last <laughs> Now, it's, right now it's, it's 8.30 in uh, Indiana. Right. And last week was the uh, seventh game of the World Series. Right. I went and got I went and got all situated and all that so I'd have a seat to watch it on TV at eight because the game started at eight o'clock. Right. And I came up to the phone and there was about eight people waiting for the phone. Oh. I I was I was hoping that it had to do with the World Series and not anything else. So that's a good thing. It was terrible. I got to the phone because, as you know, the phone calls are limited to 15 minutes. Right. And you have to wait 30 minutes between making phone calls. Right. So invariably, you know, there's a long line for the calls. And as you notice, tonight I'm a little bit late. Right. And uh, But I got in line actually early tonight because people have extra minutes now to call home so they, they don't run out of their... Typically, we're only allowed us uh, 300 minutes uh, calling per month. Got it. So, so with this being Thanksgiving and Christmas month, they they give us some extra minutes. Oh, okay. Well, uh, your your Cubs did it. I uh, I I was shocked and amazed, but I was actually uh, I I I actually didn't care one way or the other. So I I was actually kind of happy that they won for your sake. Uh, they broke the, what was it, 108-year slump? Yes, yes. Uh, the Cubs came through. <laughs> and I grew up going to Wrigley Field, so it, it was a treat for me. <laughs> well, that's cool. I, I thought I thought finally of you when I heard that they won. 
called. I said, I thought fondly of you when I heard that they won. Yes, yes. And from what I understand, um, in their big gathering and all that, what, a day or two afterwards, they amassed the biggest crowd ever in the United States. Wow. They, they amassed over 5 million people. You know, you know what's funny about that? As, as everybody sits here and whines and bitches about the outcome of our election, you're not going to see 5,000 people get together to protest or celebrate. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy how, you know, a baseball team wins and everybody shows up. If we ever had 5 million people show up for anything that had a political point, we would get that done just like that. Right, look at all the marches and all the gatherings they've always had in Washington, D.C. They've never uh, managed to have one million. Right, exactly. I mean, even even at the end of Vietnam, they'd bring 100,000 people, and that actually had an impact. You know, if we could get 100,000 people together, we could get a message to these assholes. But, no, we can't do that. But, boy, you you break a 100-year losing streak and... Uh, they all come out of the woodwork. It's crazy. <laughs> Although, I guess that is kind of the American way to root for the underdog, and it's it's hard to find more of an underdog than a cub. Oh, uh, that's true. That's true. Well, now now they're no longer that, and I don't know who was second in line, but now they're first in line. <laughs> so what? Well, the voting went well yesterday for uh, marijuana decriminalization as well. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I have a mixed uh, mixed emotion about that because, unfortunately, I get calls from more people from so-called legal states than anywhere else. And so, you know, there's it is a, it is a gain in the sense of public sentiment is saying that we want this, but the way that they actually pass these laws that are all full of tax and regulate, uh, it, it really – goes counter to what people think and unfortunately in many cases they they say you can do this but if you do that um, you're still illegal just as ever before so most of us that are you know actively participating in in any kind of cannabis commerce uh, are going to be illegal no matter what we do and that's that's part of the issue but you're right we did make some gains um, from the from the novices point of view we got three more states that passed recreational laws, so you know it's becoming uh, more and more mainstream. But at the other side of it, I had a meeting with um, the mother of a federal inmate who was just uh, convicted less than a year ago, and um, you know he's still languishing in federal prison for the next ten years, and he was following his state's law. So there's a lot of a conundrum still going on out there. Unfortunately, the the federal government still hasn't taken a uh, serious look at uh, you know uh, riding in parity with the states or just allowing it to be a state issue, just as gambling or so many other things. Well, and, and folk- the thing is, is people don't realize that even if uh, there's a law in place, like Congress passed a law that was supposed to defund the DEA from uh, taking actions where somebody was following their state laws. The truth is, not all of the 
directives are given by the higher-ups, and local DEA agents act somewhat autonomously, and they pick and choose the cases they go after. And in many cases, they will go after you regardless of if you think you're following the state's law, and they'll charge you with something else. They'll claim you were doing something else. And that's all they have to do to get around it. And people don't realize that until they get into the court system. Yes, I, I see people here being charged with the marijuana charge. They're charged with money laundering. Exactly. So they took their money from the marijuana sales and put it in the bank, so that's their crime now. Yeah, yeah. There's there's so many ways around it. And then they get into manufacturing or they get into numbers. You know, um, we talked to Molly Fry, and she said that, you know, she was following California laws. Of course, this was before, you know, Congress had passed this law, but she was very compliant with California laws. But what the federal government did is they saw how many plants she grew, and then they, they estimated how many years she'd been growing, and then they charged her for the accumulative cultivation going back, I think, five or seven years. And because of the numbers that they estimated she grew, she got hit with, you know, a charge that put her in prison. Yes, that's unfortunately very, very common in federal sentencing. It's what they call irrelevant conduct. Right. So they, they'll convict somebody of actually a relatively small drug crime, but then when it comes to sentencing, they'll bring in, you know, people trying to get sentence reductions or whatever, and they'll say, oh, I know this person dealt drugs for 10 years. Right. And they'll, they'll try to, you know, by you know, some sort of algorithm, try to figure out how much, you know, uh, of the drug that would qualify for, and, and that's the amount of drugs that they sentence the person for, which is oftentimes, as in my case, it's more drugs than probably ever existed. Exactly. It, you know, in it, my it, case, go ahead. In my case, there was a total of 2,000 pounds of uh, uh, marijuana seeds. And it, it was seized more than a thousand miles away from me. Right. Well, you must have but, done it uh, then. But I ended up being uh, sentenced for thirty thousand kilos. Wow. So nearly seventy thousand pounds. And wow. I would have to bet that most of the the drugs I'm serving the sentence for, or, the, or most of the marijuana that I'm serving the sentence for, never existed. Right. Well. And that's that's one of the main frustrations I have, especially as we're, you know, coming around election time. I have, you know, people slapping each other on the back and congratulating themselves on a, on a job well done. And at the end of the day, they don't necessarily understand even what it is they, they did. And they don't understand what really happens in courts. And they don't understand what happens in federal cases as opposed to, state cases I've literally had people can try to convince me that our state law is going to release people from federal prison and they just don't get it you know they just don't get it so I uh, I, I have a hard time with people sometimes this time of year because I, I just want to you know smack the truth into them but unfortunately that's not acceptable these days so I just have to try to educate them softly <laughs> We've both heard of uh, zealous prosecutors in California as it related to the medical marijuana dispensaries. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, well, I was earlier talking about five five years ago, in my case, I was denied a medical defense by a judge 
you know, that should have never done that. But, you know, I had to fight my way out of that where they literally said, even though my, you know, my status as a patient and a provider was rock solid, the judge said, nope, that doesn't apply here. And so, fortunately, I was able to get to the appellate court, um, you know, by a couple of miracles stacked on top of each other. But uh, most people would have lost that and, you know, just just crumbled under. And, and it happens all the time. And people, you know, believe that, you know, justice is served in the justice system. Um, but the truth is, you know, it's a legal system, not a justice system. And, you know, hopefully... Hopefully a good law will will be able to hold its own, but they don't always. They don't always. Well, unfortunately, the justice system, just like the Bureau of Prisons here, is there's nobody to oversee it, to see if the people, you know, the prosecutors or, you know, here the jailers or the the prison doctors or anything. There's nobody that oversees them to make sure that they're actually doing what would be expected of them. And defense attorneys are, are the worst at that. Nobody oversees them to see if they're actually, you know, protecting the right, the rights of the defendant they're supposed to be representing. Yeah, that, that's so true. And, you know, the, the, the reality is is there, there is a course of action that can be taken, but so few, so few people know about it, and even fewer attorneys will, will go after their own. They, they won't – it's very hard to find an attorney – to go after another, and it's very hard to find an attorney to go after a judge. But that's one of the things that we're trying to do with our legal clinic that we're putting together is create a place where people can find out uh, the truth about, you know, their situation. And if there is a judicial review board, a, a complaint that can be filed, which there is. You know, we filed a, a complaint against my judge, and he ultimately recused himself and retired because he didn't want that complaint to go after his retirement. And he's no longer on the bench because of what we did. But most people don't know about that. Most people don't know that you can do that. And unfortunately, with federal judges, the only way they can be removed is by uh, the U.S. Senate voting to impeach them. So it's yeah, when was the last time that happened? <laughs> <laughs> I think they did it to a judge that got caught taking bribes, and that was years ago. A long time ago. I mean, there's been judges that, that have been caught doing all kinds of terrible things, and most of the time they'll get a slap on the hand, a little sanction, and they just go right on back to it. And, you know, it's very, very seldom a federal judge ever gets taken off the bench. And, you know, it's, it's, it makes it very difficult for the federal judges to get influenced by public sentiment because they're really not accountable to anyone, you know, and they can stand by the law, which absolutely says, no, you don't get any cannabis, you don't get any drugs of any kind, um, and they can, you know, morally and ethically and, and uh, you know, legally uh, continue imprisoning people for nonviolent crimes and still feel okay about it. Oh, and the only people that oversee them is the Court of Appeals, which is made up of a, another group of judges just like them. So there, there's so often that the Court of Appeals will say, you know, yep, just, but uh, we're going to stand by him anyway because he's a judge. <laughs> well, 
I, you got your first beep there. What do you think? Uh, what's the general uh, opinion in Terre Haute about the election? What do you guys? What, what, what's everybody thinking about it? Uh, most inmates are afraid of Donald Trump in that they think that he's going to be uh, taking on a tough on crime stance, so that you know that they're away any possibility of writing some of the wrong sentences. But I do want to put out there that. Uh, next Tuesday, uh, there's the Cut 50 event going on at the White House. That's made up of uh, a group that wants to cut the federal prison population by 50%. My daughter is actually uh, will be there in Washington, D.C., appearing at that event and speaking at that event. Really? On behalf, on behalf of me and, of course, other prisoners. So. Wow. Ah, uh, damn it. Uh, well, I, uh, I, I, it always frustrates me um, when that happens. You know, uh, Craig's locked up, serving life, and we get 15 minutes to talk. Of course, I always lose track of time. Um, and, you know, it gets cut off. I, it just, uh, it's really heartbreaking. Well, I hope to find out more about that. I'm going to reach out to Lauren and see if I can get more information about that. I don't. That's the first I heard about it. You know, it's a funny thing. You know, I don't spend much time in my world on Facebook, and so because of that, um, I I get uh, I don't get have to put up with the BS and the drama and the headaches and the you know the, the shit soup that swims around in Facebook. But at the same time, I miss out on uh, some some tidbits of information. Um, so, uh, boy, sorry, I get a little bit derailed when this kind of stuff happens. All right, we're going to put Lisa back on. And uh, Lisa, you left off with I'm a cancer survivor. And I hope uh, that didn't derail you. Um, well, I'm also a cannabis user, so I'm right now still a cancer survivor. So I attribute my cannabis use to my continued survival. The type of cancer that I um, was uh, diagnosed with is a, it's called inflammatory breast cancer. So when they find it, it normally is at a stage three or four. They don't find it as a lump. It honeycombs throughout the breast. It actually caused my breast to, my right breast to turn black, the nipple invert, and it was pretty scary looking. Um, it did metastasize to my lymph nodes. One of the lymph nodes was so bad they couldn't even tell what it looked like. It just looked like a solid tumor. So because we know that, you know, obviously it systemically goes throughout the rest of the body. So I had chemo and I had radiation. When it came to the radiation, I yelled for help. And that's, um, I yelled for help. I was looking for some cannabis. And um, So how did, how did first you, time I uh, what was your... What was your your uh, what what directed you to cannabis? I mean, you know, now that we've shifted from the political side to the personal side of this, um, you know, when people wonder why we do what we do, uh, so much apathy. You know, people are willing to to sit back and you know take their lumps with the political thing and even legal actions. They'll, they'll take a brutal beating over over something ridiculous, but 
when it comes to somebody's health and well-being, um, that's when people will stand up and fight. And, you know, that's a big reason why we exist. And it's not so much that, you know, medical cannabis is the only thing that we support, but in my opinion, all cannabis is medical cannabis. And at Amen. very, very least, the the use of cannabis is a basic fundamental right. It's a it's a um, it should be protected by our constitution as a component of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness without causing any harm to anyone else. So why is it exempt from that? Doesn't make sense. So that's a big reason why we exist. And so you know you're you're going to be sharpening the point on that and 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 letting us know. You know how how did you come upon the knowledge? You know you did you find out about having cancer before you knew about cannabis's you know healing abilities, or or did it all happen at once, or what, how did that all come about? I'm 57 years old, and in the 70s, I um, I imbibed in marijuana as a young person, and that was pretty much it. And then in the 90s, when I raised my kids, I I led the dare program, just say no to drugs. And I uh, threw all of them in the same basket. And so when it came up to um, the cancer, I had no clue. I had no clue. And a very dear friend of mine said, you need to look at the, at the cannabis. She goes, you're the third person in the cul-de-sac to get the breast cancer. You need the cannabis. And I put my fingers up and I said, no, don't even talk to me about that. Go away from me. And I said, I'll look at that piece when I'm ready. So I did chemo surgery and when it came to the radiation it burned me so bad I yelled for help I said I need something for the pain because I I I am careful I mean I don't want to take a bunch of I don't like Monsanto I don't like pig pharma um so I immediately looked for some people who could explain to me how this cannabis was going to help me with cancer what's it going to do keep me from barfing well I was already over the chemo I needed something else so as I delved into this a little bit the first thing i thought was well whatever the problem is with the cannabis i'm okay because i'm a cancer survivor i have pain there's that throw-up thing and the first time i met some really fine people where i was going to learn about cannabis i thought well i'll just lift my shirt up and then they'll know (laughs) so i walked in and lifted my shirt up i said i'm a cancer survivor so i felt pretty brave felt pretty bold and then i learned (laughs) i'd the important thing the most important thing of all to me. Cannabis kills cancer cells. It tells the cancer cells to commit apoptosis because the body wants to achieve homeostasis. It wants to be well. So while every day I'm worried about the cancer coming back, every day I put the cannabis oil in me, and it gets rid of any cancer cells that may be lurking around in there. I help it. I avoid sugar. I eat uh, organic food and um, try to keep my body as healthy as possible. One of the things that happens is when you have cancer and they take lymph nodes out, you can develop a condition called lymphedema. My arm swells and it's very painful and doctors will prescribe tramadol, which is an opioid, for that. I found out about the tramadol, which is an opioid, when my 85-year-old mother, who still works, got an injury at work. They prescribed Norco, we said no because we knew that was an opioid. Then they prescribed tramadol, which I had to look up because I'd never heard of. And they said, that's an opioid. Mom at 85 says, no, I don't want it. I'm not going to do it. She's real healthy. She doesn't take a lot of medication. Um, <clears throat> Mom does do a little bit of cannabis oil, uh, like a pinhead's worth. And I'm talking, you know, she takes like a toothpick, dips it, tries it. And 
with this injury of hers and them prescribing that, I didn't know what we were going to do. She did try the tramadol at 85. It made her very sluggish. It gave her opioid constipation almost immediately. She was almost a wreck on me. So I gave her a little bit more cannabis oil and the pain went away. She became more lucid and then she got a little anxiety about some stuff. So they gave her some benzo, which was a, uh, it was diazepam. And when she figured out that that was a benzo, that wasn't either. Then we gave her a little bit more oil. So we've literally now taken her off the, the diazepam and off of the tramadol, which she only took for a very short period of time. I'm talking about maybe five days. And she got rid of those and we replaced it with the cannabis oil. When I told her workman's comp doctor that, he, he was okay with that. Um, all my doctors know that I use it. I use a salve for pain because I have um, what's called post-mastectomy pain syndrome, which is a really bad brachial nerve all across your chest. That cannabis salve helps the pain with that. It puts a pillow between me and the pain. I use the oil to prevent any cancer recurrence and to, um, I call it essential civilian demand. And then I finally, at the end of the evening, will um, heal my mind and I vaporize the cannabis flowers at that point. So I use it in three ways. It helps me heal. It's probably the reason I'm still alive. 60% of the people are dead in 4.75 years from the type of cancer that I was diagnosed with. Um, The lymphedema doesn't help. So my question with the whole thing is, this is really kind of a weird thing. I have two things that I go by. I am appalled that in the United States of America, a five-year-old with a smartphone has access to more information than today's American juries do. And the second thing that I really have a big issue with is it's just a plant. I'd rather deal with somebody that was high than somebody that was drunk. United States of America is so politically stupid or so ignorant that we actually had on our ballot a measure to make sure that condoms are used. So I guess what we really need to do is make sure that all the hookers on the streets have GoPro cameras, and then they won't get arrested for prostitution. They'll get arrested for what, being porno stars? Oh, no, because that's legal. So it's legal to be a porno star, but it's illegal to do prostitution. It's legal to give people opioids and kill them. A fentanyl patch is what, 100 times, 200 times bigger, stronger than heroin? Does it really matter? If it's a little bit bigger, it's a bad thing. So that's how stupid we are in the United States. How dare somebody not allow me to have cannabis to kill cancer, to help my body achieve homeostasis. This is absolutely ridiculous. And I realize that the most unfortunate thing is I'm preaching to the choir because everybody that's listening already agrees with me. So the only thing that I can do is wear my green ribbon and educate anybody who asks And when they see my big arm and they say, what's that? I say, I'm a lymphedema survivor. I'm a cancer survivor. How do you do that? One day, one prayer at a time, and a whole lot of cannabis. And if it wasn't for cannabis, I wouldn't be alive. So that's why I'm a cannabis activist, and that's why I'm here. Well, that is a a fine bit of story there. Um, You know, these opiates, you've you've had personal experience with these opiates. You have a, a a pretty strong opinion about you know people on alcohol and whatnot, but you know when you're when you get on opiates, I don't know how many people I've, I've never been on opiates. I've never taken them. I think uh, I, I had a 
root canal one time, and the doctor gave me Tylenol 3s. I think I took one of them. I didn't like the way it made me feel, so I didn't take any more. Uh, and I think that's just coding. I don't think that's an opiate. But bottom line is exactly. I, I I drank some laudanum a couple of times, and I really liked the way it made me feel. And so I told myself <laughs> I better not do this because it's going to be a slippery slope. I, I like this too much. And so I purposely kept myself away from any of the opiates uh, because, you know, it was just too darn enjoyable. Um, and and I find, though, that people that are, are given these for pain uh, almost have the opposite uh, effect. They don't really like the way it makes them feel. Um, you end up having right. to take so much that it, it, it binds you up. Um, it it uh, oh, yeah. causes all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, discomfort in addition to taking away the pain and then of course it can cause permanent liver damage and other uh organ failure and so uh, you know kathy z who you know well suffered multiple organ failure as a result of uh prescription drugs and um, you know, this is not an uncommon issue uh we have non-compliant mary that went through a giant uh, uh pharmaceutical nightmare and I'll, I'll bring her up in a little bit to if she wants to talk about that um, and we have Amy Mellon who's going to talk about this as well so many people have suffered more from these opiates when I ran my collective dispensary um, for a couple of years I never imagined how many people would come to me seeking relief from their opiate addiction and I thought to myself um, uh, I, I, I never imagined that that would have been one of the purposes of, of this uh, uh, facility and, and resource was to help people get off of drugs. You know, when you deal, you talked about the uh, DARE program, and, you know, they right. say, uh, what is it, uh, drug abuse resistance, something or other, um, yes. and, and, and they say, just say no to drugs, right? Drugs are bad. And they talk right. about the gateway drug, cannabis. Don't take cannabis because it is the gateway to heavy drugs. And they, by heavy drugs, they're talking about cocaine, methamphetamine, and heroin, which is an opiate. So they're saying to you that the, the rhetoric, the propaganda is that if you smoke pot, it will cause you to want to do heroin, which is an opiate. The truth is, is if you get hurt or need an operation, the doctor will give you heroin or, you know, some synthetic version of that. And then it turns out cannabis can help get you away from it. So I've always said well, when I get an opportunity that it's a gateway no, out rather than a gateway in. And, uh, people right, because there's nothing that. in between it. There's nothing exactly. in between it. They went, they literally went from Aleve and Tylenol okay, dropping down into the opioid, the tramadol, the Norco. And I know for a fact that, and I did not know this previous until this happening to my mom and then me dealing some other stuff with, with, with therapy places and my own lymphedema issues and, and breast issues, that the majority of women who have this breast pain like I have and this lymphedema are in fact prescribed tramadol, a, any any type of the benzos for anxieties, and then also gabapentin. And gabapentin is for the neuropathy that's caused by the chemo 
that they give you in your, in your hands and feet. And I have neuropathy actually pretty bad. Sometimes it's so bad in my fingers, I can't even run. I can't use a phone because I can't feel it. It just doesn't work right. And to find out that these women are taking tramadol, benzos, and gabapentin daily to deal with this, and I use the cannabis. I mean, that's huge because the side effects and the nastiness from those things that they're putting into their bodies and like me picking the, the prescriptions up for my mom, I was standing in this pharmacy and it's completely white and there's this nice woman standing there in front of me and we got to talking and as I was standing there talking to her, I'm looking at her and I go, wow, she's kind of like a bud tender, only her drugs will kill people. <laughs> Right. <laughs> got all these drugs behind her, right? Just like when you go into a dispensary. And I'm thinking, this is weird. And what's crazy? She's the head pharmacist. I felt like I was standing in a dispensary because it's the same thing, only it felt lethal. It wasn't as nice as, and, and warm and friendly and healing as where I go. And then she starts talking to me about her mother, who is like a year younger than me, and she had breast cancer. And all she was talking about was, what do you do? How do you do it? And she wanted to know. Of course she did. She wants to save her mom's life, and she knows all that junk that she's peddling back behind her ain't going to do nothing but harm her mom, and it ain't, it ain't going to heal her. Now, you know, and there's a lot more to this. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm leaving some of it out, but that's, that's the bottom line is I have a lot of people because of the, I mean, I talk to all my doctors know about it, and they, they ask me about it. I've had x-ray technicians say to me, you use what? I tell them, and they go, well, my mom's got it. My brother's got it. What do you do? And I tell them, you know, and then I give them the Human Solution International website. And, um, you know, I say, Google it. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> save your life. Save your friend's life. Save your human's life. Everybody should be having it. It was in the pharmacopoeia for years. You know, what's up, people? It's just a plant. Come on, give me a break. I'd rather, like I said, I'd rather be high than drunk. Stay long. Well, um, let's let's shift this we're we're you know time gets away from me so quick and i've got a bunch of guests uh stacking up here but um so what you've talked about now is the the core of why the human solution exists uh, you know this basic fundamental right um you know common sense if common sense entered into this equation of politics of of of, of our laws, of, of any of these things, we would live in such a different world. Um, but it doesn't, you know. Common sense is not so common as I think it was Benjamin Franklin said. Um, a couple of years ago, I, I don't know, when did I meet you? Two years ago, three years ago? It's been a little while now. Um, almost, no, almost, yeah, almost three years. Uh, it, we, we were obviously knee-deep in, in the human solution, and you came out and started doing court support and participating did you ever imagine that you would be in a leadership role in our organization and um you know here you are now and uh, you're you know one of my right hand people um uh, that i count on to uh lead and guide this organization um what what got you to want to do that i mean this isn't a job it, you don't get paid <laughs> this is a volunteer job and it's a difficult one and it's 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 a being a lifesaver to other people in need when you're a person in need yourself. Um, what 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 caused this to be appealing to you, and 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 what what you know? How do you feel about it all? Um, I've always been involved in that type of stuff. You know, I I if you're not part of the the solution, you are part of the problem. And so, 
when I'm passionate about something, when I'm excited about something, I do go fully into it. And as it became available to me to, to help wherever I could in the human solution, I was more than happy to step up to the plate. And even though it may not be, because we are volunteers, we may not be paid for in money, we are paid for in the support and the comradeship of our, of our fellow people. And, you know, there are even people that belong to the human solution that do not use cannabis on a daily basis, and they may not use it at all for whatever reason, but they still support the healing of it that other people are doing. And that's the important thing. You know, it is important to, um, to be able to speak to other people that understand why I do what I do. And I don't understand how, how um, I mean, I, I kind of understand what they do, but to me, like you said, I just don't get drinking. You know, drinking is, is just kind of weird to me. So when I can associate with other people who can relax and do it via a plant, um, I feel understood and I, I, you know, I'm excited to be with other people who understand what I'm doing in a healthy way. That's why I stepped up to the plate, and it's an important thing to do, and I want to make sure that everybody has the right to survive. And, um, of course, I'm, I'm doing it because I'm selfish. I want to make sure that the plant is able to exist. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for joining the show and sharing your story with everybody. And, uh, you know, we will have you back on soon enough, and we'll be talking about the future of the human solution from your VP point of view. Um, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for uh, being here. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Talk to you later. You betcha. All right, up next we have Mandy Thomas, and uh, Mandy is um, my coordinator for the Midwest chapter, and the Midwest chapter is sort of covering the whole Midwest right now, and we're we're building quite a nice little team out there. And uh, I'm probably going to bring um, Amy up with Mandy at the same time, but we're going to bring Mandy up first, and she's going to give us a, a Midwest update as well as a personal experience with these opiates, and uh, here we go. Mandy Thomas, welcome to the show. How are you feeling today? Oh, I, I'm I'm feeling a little bit better, Joe. I hope everybody on you guys' end is doing well. Absolutely, absolutely. We're, uh, you know, recovering from it all and, and you know, yeah. putting up our, our big boy pants on and keeping on moving. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the end of the day. Either you're part of the problem or part of the solution, and I, I am determined to be part of the solution. Yeah, definitely. I mean, or, or, you know, I think if you wanted to be part of the problem, you wouldn't name your organization the Human Solution. You'd name it the Problem. <laughs> yeah, that would be a much easier group to run, just be the Human Problem. <laughs> oh, you, so you know, I bet, you, we could, I, bet, I bet we could find grants for days. <laughs> oh, boy, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. So uh, before, why don't you first um, give us a um, – a Midwest chapter update, and then let's get into um, the general topic, and we can bring Amy aboard, and, and you guys can tell us about, um, you know, the story, you know, how, how opiates have been part of this whole situation. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, the Midwest update is going to be uh, quite brief. Um, there's, uh, we're kind of in a just in a um, in transition period right now with a lot of the cases we're working on. Um, the court date for Shauna Banda did get moved to November 22nd out in uh, Garden City, Kansas. Um, that's the Daubert hearing to where they're going to decide if she could use the medical necessity defense, if I understand correctly. Um, 
<laughs> Shauna is still healing from her recent surgery out in Colorado. Um, so we've been giving her time to focus on that and and just standing by to offer whatever assistance we could we can um, whenever she's ready to uh, get back on track with uh, getting her case uh, addressed. But right now, you know, ultimately our health is our number one priority. Uh, that's for that's our cool. volunteers. That's for our volunteers and the defendants that we're working with. So. Um, we're uh, we're just uh, you know uh, trying to offer support and sending well wishes so that her and her family can heal, uh, continue healing from this, both the case and the surgery, because both are traumatic enough experiences in themselves. Um, and then uh, later on this month, um, we have the case coming up uh, uh, for the uh, case here in Lawrence. Um, that uh, will be a preliminary hearing, and from there we'll have a better idea of what the human solutions involvement is going to be because from there we'll, we'll have a better idea of what all the defendants going to need to move forward because I do believe it looks like we probably will be going to trial with this one. Um, and as I mentioned last week, we're going to also be uh, pushing out these um, jury nullification brochures and, and trying to get um, jury nullification a topic that people are talking about now, especially with um, everybody coming down off of these elections. I think that if we can use this uh, jury nullification as a way to kind of put the power back into the people's hands, um, it, I think that we can really uh, move some mountains here um, with uh, with the efforts that a lot of the other, uh, other people here are doing with um, their their specialty um, or their area of hitting this thing head on here in Kansas. A recent update out of the Johnson County case, um, and this is actually I I, mean, I I we're actually going to be putting out an SOS. Um, the defendant ended up uh, releasing his public defender. Uh, just because, really, the public defender was, you know, basically, it's, it, I don't even really need to explain it, Joe, because I'm sure a lot of people that have been through this process can really probably... Really seldom does the public defender actually do any defending. Usually, uh, you know, all they're there to do is to cause a deal to get struck and, uh, you know, shuffle it off their desk and get on to the next case. Yes, and uh, this defendant uh, had this public defender laughing in his face. Um, and you know this is this you know this is also a patient. Both of these cases here that were, or actually all, all of these cases here that we're working on in the Midwest, in, including Chris Lewandowski's, um, they're all medical necessity. Um, and you know uh, it, it's going to take a collaborative effort from a lot of different approaches to really. Um, move these mountains here in the Midwest because these are some of the 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 toughest laws and the toughest methods of changing them. So, um, get ready for that. Uh, we're uh, like I said last week. We're expanding. We're trying to get interns. We're, we're working on grants. Um, we're ready to really uh, pick up some momentum while we have um, the lawmakers in session right now, and while we do have that bill. Um, that has been presented and that uh, we do want to get a lot of attention on because it will open the doors for a lot of patients here. Um, well, let's, let me stop yeah. you there for one second, and if we get anybody who's interested in helping out in the, those efforts, how would they reach you? 
Um, well, they can they can reach me through our social media account. Um, it's the Human Solution um, International Midwest Chapter. Uh, we have a good team of people that monitor uh, the inbox for that as well as the page. Um, so we can uh, definitely do that, or they can contact you guys um, there at Solution International, and I'm sure um, we can uh, we we can get it fielded that way. Or um, they're welcome to uh, look me up on social media. I, it's just my my regular name uh, that I'm using here on the show, Mandy Thomas, and they're welcome to hit me up directly. Um, and, you know, Joe, we, I'd be even happy to provide links with my emails and contact information as well so that we can give everybody um, as many avenues to contact, to contact the Midwest team here. Um, because with this Johnson County case, uh, we are looking at a very time-sensitive issue. Uh, we go back um, at the 1st of December, um, and between now and then, we have to get this guy an attorney acquired. Uh, he does have some money for a retainer, but um, the problem that we're running into out here is that a lot of these uh, criminal defense attorneys, uh, you know, they want $10,000 just for a retainer. Um, to an attorney, that's not a lot of money, um, but to an average, you know, working Joe, no pun intended, um, hmm. <laughs> um, you know, that is oh, a lot of cash. you got to throw Joe in there, don't you? <laughs> Um, And, you know, uh, so, you know, that's something that um, we're going to be trying to follow up on uh, with both the defendant and some of the local attorneys we've established here. So anybody um, that's listening knows of any attorneys in the Johnson County, Kansas area that would be willing to work with us, um, uh, that would be willing to uh, negotiate with us while we uh, iron out a fundraising plan or some sort of uh some sort of method of a payment arrangement um so that this defendant can go in next month and have adequate legal counsel um it would be greatly appreciated because <clears throat> you know this is a this is a normal guy like you and me that you know just um had this fall into his lap and uh you know he's not he's not a criminal he's a he's a He's a person just like you and me, goes to work. He has a family he takes care of. Um, you know, he doesn't go out causing trouble. He he focuses on uh, providing a life for himself and his family and being a productive and um, an otherwise law-abiding member of society. Uh, if you ask me, anybody that wants to argue that cannabis uh, law violations are our grounds to classify you as a criminal, I have to beg to differ because uh, I've never met a dangerous uh, cannabis consumer in my life. Um, I did get a call (laughs) from an attorney, um, and he's agreed to come on the air and do an interview. I just wanted to bring him up, though. I I can't remember his name, um, but he came Mm -hmm. through you, and he was interested in talking about jury nullification, which... Of course, you know, when you don't have a law that protects you in whatever state you might be in, um, the only hope you have is either a medical necessity defense or to nullify whatever the the law that they're going to use against you. And um, so to find an attorney that was uh, not only supportive of jury nullification but willing to, um, you know, strategize a campaign 
is rare. And, um, you know, we talked about uh, cases that we've been successful in, and I we discussed, um, you know, ways that he's used to uh, address the jury without getting sanctioned. And uh, we talked about a, a number of um, options that he's going to be using in, in some future cases. So, um, anyways, that is something that uh, will be coming up in the future. And it came right out of your Midwest chapter. Well, why don't you... Uh, yeah. Tell us about your story, uh, your experience with opiates. It seems that you have quite an extensive um, background with this from more, multiple perspectives. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. this is a beast that I've gotten to know quite well um, through both my personal and professional experiences. Um, and honestly, you know, it started at a young age. I was uh, 17 years old in high school. I actually know 15 years old in high school, Labor Day weekend, the last hour of class, and I fall and break my arm into two pieces, um, and that's when it started. Um, I had to have surgery to have both the ulna and the radius put back together. Still can't go through airport security thanks to the screws and plates in my arm, <laughs> in my arm there. Um, and uh, apparently at the time, you got to keep in mind, I was class of 2001, so this is pretty old school. <laughs> um, that was whenever OxyContin and all of these uh, synthetic opiates hit the market, um, and they they hit it hard. Um, I was one of the crash test dummies for post-operative pain, <clears throat> and at 15 years old, I was in no capacity um, in any way, shape, or form um, capable of understanding the responsibility that they had given me in that little orange bottle with the white lid on it. Um, from there, um, you know, through high school, um, it became an issue with me and, and thankfully I was able to, you know, like, uh, like you mentioned earlier, I was able to see it, uh, as a bad habit forming before it got bad. And, um, I was able to, um, you know, kind of, uh, take another path and, um, recognize those behaviors and and eliminate that temptation out of my life. But unfortunately, um, a, a few years after that, I became diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Um, and a lot of people that, um, that do live with chronic conditions, uh, such as IBD, Crohn's disease, RA, um, lupus, et cetera, um, autoimmune conditions, and uh, other type of conditions, um, one of the first things they want to offer you is a uh, an opiate. Um, and <clears throat> keep in mind, Joe, this is also back um, during the same time frame that um, the makers of OxyContin, uh, Purdue Pharmaceuticals, um, they launched this medication, um, uh, OxyContin, um, I believe if, if the uh, if the LA Times article I'm referring to right now is correct, it says about two decades ago, um, and they released it with the claim that one dose relieves pain for 12 hours, more than twice as long as these genetic uh, medications. End quote. Um, they packaged this medication and they advertised it in a way um, that. For one, um, since then, uh, it has gotten Purdue in a lot of trouble um, because they were very deceptive to their patients. 
<clears throat> they were very deceptive to their doctors. And uh, being somebody that's also uh, ha- has worked in the medical um, field for about the same amount of time <clears throat> that I have been diagnosed with Crohn's about 13 years, um, you know, I, uh, I've seen how these doctors conduct themselves both as a patient and as a professional that's working with them or in conjunction with them. Um, these medications <clears throat> like Oxycontin, Fentanyl, Dilaudid, which uh, Fentanyl, I found out they have a neat little handy sublingual spray, um, all of these very highly potent opiate medications um, were initially designed with the intentions of giving it to people that were dying on hospice support. Um, same with uh, the benzodiazepines such as Ativan um, and Xanax. Um, these medications were not designed for long-term use, much less chronic use for, for patients that have these lifelong debilitating conditions. Being as, you know, these things just occurred 20 years ago, um, the, the research into the long-term effects of prolonged exposure or prolonged use to these medications is just now being emerged. Uh, back in 2007, uh, Oxy, the OxyContin maker, Purdue, Purdue Pharmaceuticals, was ordered in a court space in Arlington, Virginia, to pay $600 million in a settlement for their deceptive practices <clears throat> and for the way that they advertised and misrepresented these drugs. Um, they, they represented them as medications that did not have habit-forming qualities like, their, like the competitors, <clears throat> which, we, which we now know is false. Um, I mean, they don't call it hillbilly heroin for nothing. Um, and, it, and, and, you know, Joe, it's taken so many people dying and so many people having just these horrible side effects from these medications because throughout, uh, throughout the course of my illness, I've, I've had bouts to where I can go two to three years without needing a single opiate or needing a single dose of pharmaceutical anything outside of Imodium or Pepto every once in a blue moon. And then my disease puts me into periods to where for a year, two years, three years at a time, I'm taking high doses of multiple highly addictive medications every single day and doing this for a prolonged amount of time. And one of the issues with this, especially for for um, chronically ill people, is that um, these disease, these drugs have a very very toxic effect on the internal organs, on the brain, um, on, on on the entire system as a whole. And there's actually recent studies that have been found in the Journal of American Medicine that indicate that middle age smaller framed women, such as myself, I'm 5'2", maybe I think I just weighed in at 148 pounds on Friday. Um, I mean, you've met me, Joe, not, there's not much there. <laughs> um, oh, no, you're just a little thing. <laughs> you know, whenever we have uh, whenever we have doctors prescribing us these benzos like Ativan and Xanax alongside medications like Percocet, 
um, which is essentially the same uh, active ingredient as Oxycontin is, which is the active ingredient is oxycodone, um, and it's mixed with Tylenol. Uh, you have drugs like Percocet, uh, Oxycontin, Oxycodone, um, Hydrocodone, which is generic for nor- Norco, or you have these uh, completely 100% synthetic opiates, like what Lisa mentioned before, which is Tramadol. Um, and you mix these with these benzos like the Ativans and the Xanaxes, then the likelihood of overdose death or um, uh, cross-interaction-induced death from these drugs having um, the depressive respiratory effects on the body um, alone, much less whenever you combine them, it potentiates that. And so uh, that respiratory depression is amplified. And uh, they found that, you know, women like me that have taken the combination of these drugs, especially in high doses, um, have had instances of sudden death of whatever they've laid down to go to sleep and they didn't wake up. And if for somebody like me that's taken very high doses of both of these medications, uh, for example, um, this last round that I um, that I just conquered about four and a half months ago, um, I was on the pharmaceutical opiates and the benzos for two years, and I got I was maxed out as high as. Uh, being prescribed uh, oxycontin twenty, or I'm sorry, oxycodone, which is the immediate release, not the extended release, um, twenty milligram tablets, and I could take uh, one to two tablets every four to six hours, with one half to one tablet in between for breakthrough pain. On top of that, I was also taking <clears throat> the uh, benzodiazepine Ativan, and I could take. Um, one tablet, which was 0.5, which that doesn't sound like a high dose, but that's the starting dose. And usually with these, uh, whenever you hear of these medications, they're, in, they're such small doses that a one milligram dose is enough to be a, more than effective. And it's actually a dose that they would give you for like a nighttime insomnia-based dose. Um, uh, for example, whenever you hear the term, yes, whenever you hear the term Xanax bars, that's only two milligrams, but that's one of the most in-demand pharmaceutical medications on the street today. Only two milligrams of these things, and people well, are. It sounds are, like you know you you have uh, not only have you overcome this multiple times, but you're very aware of these things and what they do, which makes you uh, so valuable in in you know dealing with people uh, that are similar. And how has cannabis helped in this? I mean, has it has it been helpful? Or, you know, you live in a state that's not legal, so I, you probably can't even talk about that. And I don't want you to jeopardize yourself by doing so. But, you know, what have you heard? <laughs> well, uh, well, Joe, uh, I have done the research, and, and unfortunately cannabis is about as prohibitionist as it gets. Right. Uh, I mean, just but you probably heard about, about people that have side. benefited. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we have, um, and you know we can access um, we can access hemp based things like uh, CBD as long as it uh, meets the federal standards. Um, so you know there is a limited availability of what I can use here. Um, anything outside that bare minimum CBD 
based oil um, that has maybe I think it's, it can't have any more than like 0.5 or 0.05 uh, percent THC. Um, Very small. Anything amount, outside yeah. Of that, yeah, anything outside of that, and I'm risking present brought to life. Wow. Well, listen, um, we're running low on time, so I'm going to go ahead and bring Amy aboard. And that way she'll have time to tell her story. We'll probably run a little bit long today because I want to give everybody a chance to talk. But we may end up holding this topic over till next week because there's so much to talk about. And I'm getting more and more people that want to talk um, as, as the show's going on. So, Amy, um, Amy Mellon, welcome to the show. Um, I don't believe you and I have really talked before. Uh, and if you have, you have to forgive my teeny little brain um i i forget things all the time and uh i apologize um but welcome to the show <laughs> you're here with Thanks myself so and mandy thank you very much no we actually have not met before so mandy Ooh. contacted me and asked me yeah you're off the hook don't worry thank you um she <laughs> asked me <laughs> if i'd you know be willing to come on and just share a little bit of my journey and Good. um what cannabis has done for me well, you have the floor. Okay. <laughs> well, I did not do um, any drugs, any alcohol uh, substances at all growing up or even as an Goody adult. Um, yes, I was. I stick, kept my nose clean. I did my classes. I did dance, drama, um, went to college, got my degree, got married, had my kids, had my career, was doing it the way I was supposed to, and had a car accident. And um, that split second changed my life and my family's life forever. Um, almost died in the car accident. I rolled my car three times. And each time I rolled my car, um, my window had broke out. And so my head and my left arm hit the concrete. And oh. so I ended up with uh, brain damage and um, my left wrist hanging on by about an inch. So, oh. um Yeah. <laughs> And um, thankfully, I was with my ex-husband, my daughter's father at the time. Um, he just had bumps and bruises, so he was fine. But they took me. I was uh, just north of Reedsport in Oregon. And they brought me up to OHSU. Can't say enough good stuff about OHSU up in Portland. All my doctors have been there. Um, all my surgeries have been done by one doctor, uh, my plastic surgery. And they're just incredible. And um, isn't it amazing that a federally funded hospital can actually support a person to get off of pills and get onto cannabis. <laughs> wow. Wow. It you, happens. You, you struck, right. <laughs> a, struck a little vein of gold. That's that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I did. And I'm very fortunate. Um, my primary doctor I had uh, before my accident and um, also, uh, so I had her for 12 years and my plastic surgeon when um, he heard that I was doing it um, was also very supportive. So um, she worked with me every single time I, I wanted to detox. Um, the accident that happened put me into nine different um, surgeries on my arm, um, years of therapy, uh, physical therapy, and emotional therapy. And um, it just, um, all the you wake up and you're hooked up. I woke up from my accident in the hospital hooked up to IVs with drugs pumping wow. into me, 
Um, and I had had a little bit of experience with pain medications before that. In 1998, I started um, having some really bad hormonal migraines. And so I had a prescription for, um, for Vicodin at first, and then it went to Percocet, and it was like 20 a month. And anybody that's been on pills knows that's, that ain't nothing. So um, that's the way it started very, very instantly. And I even had that prescription when my accident happened, but I wasn't using it at all. I wasn't having any problems at the point in time. Um, that's not what my accident was even caused by. Um, but the point is, is that it starts out so very, very innocent. And then nobody wants to talk about it after somebody's on it. So that's why I refer to it as the silent epidemic. Because it's so after true. That you point, know, I, I want to cut you off for just one second because that's okay. Go ahead. I, I have met so many people. You know, people think about drug addicts and drug dealers, and there's such a stigma about mm-hmm. those two terms, a drug addict yep. and a drug dealer. But the truth mm-hmm. is, and, and there are plenty of, of, you know, skid row drug addicts, and there's plenty of scumbag drug dealers out there. Mm-hmm. Not saying there's not, mm-hmm. but to term somebody who uh, wakes up with a with a pick line or a drip into them, and they're 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 already hooked on on uh, opiates when they wake up. There's you you've probably had yep. that pumping through you for days, and it's yep. already too late. You're already hooked. You did nothing mm-hmm. nothing to cause that. You did nothing to ask for it. You did nothing to instigate it. You didn't go looking nothing. You just woke up and it was in you. And then when you You're talk right. about somebody who's who's providing cannabis to people, uh, in most places in America, that person is going to be considered to be a drug dealer. Um, mm-hmm. It might just be some little old man or little old lady who happens to know how to grow a few plants and just, you know, gives you a little something they made. They're a drug dealer just like the next guy. And, and, and that stigma, um, you know, fueled by the Just Say No and the Nancy Reagan Army, um, in my opinion, is, is perpetuated this uh, this giant problem of prohibition, and it, and it hasn't, uh, you know, it's just starting to get better. But the problem is the stigma causes people to not want to talk about it, You're and right. You're there right. it totally becomes the you. silent epidemic. It's a it's a scourge. It's mm-hmm. a it's a scarlet letter. You know, it's 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 the, yeah. it's really something that's shameful to people. Yeah, uh, sorry, and that's, that's my why tirade. I I'm, just wanted to bring that out. <laughs> no, I'm glad that you mentioned it because um, that's huge. That's that's why I share my story so much every single day, is because I'm trying to break that stigma. Um, my my one of my hashtags is um, changing hearts and minds one at a time, and you know that's what we have to do is. People are are past the logic, you know. They're not going to listen to logic at all because they've been lied to for so long. So we got to throw logic straight out the window. We have to go straight for their hearts. The only way you get to people's hearts is if you get in front of them with your face. So I could do what I'm doing, and I could do it very quietly, and I could do it behind closed doors, but it's not going to have the effect that I'm having now. And if I put myself out there the way I'm doing this, um, I did not do cannabis cannabis before at all. I didn't start smoking until um, October of 2014. So I'd been on the pills for 10 years before I, almost 10 years before I decided to do this. And the only reason I decided to do it was because I had another car accident. And this one was caused by my pills. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. 
Yeah, my well, daughter was in the passenger seat, you're... and her friend was behind me. You know, and I I wasn't wow. going to put anybody else at risk. And that's when I decided I need to look into something else. And that's when I started smoking, and then I did a topical, and then we started ingesting, and it just went from there. So so here you are today in 2016. Uh, what's your what's your status uh, with all of this? Um, right now, I. Um, I ingest oil every day, cannabis oil. Um, I make my own capsules once I get my oil. Um, I am actually an Oregon resident, uh, lived there, grown there my whole life. I just moved to Maryland two weeks ago. So now I have to work on getting my card from Maryland. Uh, thankfully, I am a neuropathy patient, and so I do qualify under those terms. So that's something I need to do. Um, now I'm in a whole different area. I'm on the East Coast, so I'm a, I've never right. even visited here before. So I'm adjusting wow. to East Coast life, and I have to build up a whole new community over here. And so that's what I'm working on is building a whole new community. I'm working on an education program with my friends back in Oregon that we're going to launch after the first of the year, Dual Coast and Oh, gosh, what else? I've got a heavy metal benefit concert that I'm working on that I want to do to bring awareness to opiates and raise uh, funds for kids to go to music camp, um, kids of chronic ill patient, uh, parents, and give some parents a little bit of their pride back, uh, something that they can give their kids right from them. And um, the kids don't have to know that they even came from, from a benefit, you know. So if we want to help people heal, we have to start when they're still sick. And we have oh, to have so compassion true. for well, people, and we have to have empathy. So. First of all, I would like to, uh, you know, encourage you to uh, reach out to either myself off the air or, you know, get with Mandy and figure out how, you know, we can, we in the Human Solution can be helpful. As a civil rights organization, you know, we, we, we began as a cannabis organization, but we've reached out um, broader into uh, veterans and disabled rights um as well and this clearly would fall under a disabled rights uh cause so um you know let's see what we could do to to be helpful uh number two what if uh, somebody wants to uh reach out to you either you know in need or with something to offer how could they reach you um, first of all, thank you so much. That's incredible because I'm also working on a nonprofit organization, so um, that totally goes in line with that. Um, well, I mean it. All, so anybody who knows me <laughs> knows that I don't make these offers lightly. <laughs> so. so I woo, um, and then um, they can look me up on Facebook, Amy Mellon, M E L L E N. Um, I'm also Amy Jean five four three on uh, Instagram. Um, I'm also on Twitter, and um, I've got a website that I'm working on, and eventually my book will be coming out. So, um, oh, and then we did a documentary that's going to be coming out within a couple of weeks, and that's totally about uh, opiates and is cannabis actually an exit? answer instead of uh, the whole gateway drug that they've been feeding us for so long and they wanted somebody that had done this and didn't do cannabis before so they followed me for two days and we went to a grow and we went to a dispensary (laughs) and they talked to my kids and my husband so um that's going to be pretty cool and it's going to be a worldwide release so they can be looking well i'm now watching you on your own facebook page so i just I just responded to your friend request. I, 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 I'm way beyond that. I hardly ever go on Facebook, but I'm on right now, and I'm waving at you. So, 
<laughs> well, let, very cool, very cool. <laughs> let's make this work. Let let's figure out how we can yeah. work together. And um, I, I we're now friends, so you can message me or whatever. And my uh, I, let me just give you my number. It's it's out there everywhere. It's nine five one four three six six three one two. And this show is archived, so if you forget it, you can go back and listen. And uh, I, I'm looking very much forward to, to seeing this. You know, it's uh, I'm always looking for people willing to act. Uh, I, I, mm-hmm. I had somebody today that was talking about, you know, feeling sad because of, you know, all these people that were duped by voting for a bad law. And I says, well, you can feel sad all you want, but it would be better to participate, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Let it, let, let's take some action. A very few people can get yeah. a very lot done. And so I'm yeah, always looking for those movers thing, and those shakers. That's one thing you'll find on my page is um, positivity. If you're going to get on there and you're going to rant and this and that, I'll let you go a little bit. But, you know, if you're going <laughs> to keep going on forever, or you're going to diss on anybody or show disrespect, you're out of there. Yeah. So yeah, um, that's what I'm about is just educating people and letting people know that there's alternatives. There's a place and a time for pharmaceuticals, and then there's those that if they want to – you know, look at another option, then let's tell them that there is an option, and then let's teach them how to make their own option. So that's what I'm about is people being able to heal themselves like I did, reverse diabetes, get off the opiates. Um, I'm down 198 pounds, so it's like, you know, there's so many different facets to the healing that happens with cannabis, and people just don't know, and we just really need to educate them. That's what it's all about. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Amy. We're now going into sort of a lightning round, so thank you so much for being on the show. I look forward to talking to you off the air and uh, uh, working together. And, again, thank you, Mandy. Um, As always, you've become a regular on the show, and uh, I love the work that's coming out of the Midwest chapter. So uh, I look forward to talking to you soon as well. Okay, so let's see. we got... Non-compliant Mary up next, and then we got Lisa Grisham Gordon. She's going to talk a little bit about a band in Placer County, and we have Tom Corby going to bring up the end of the show with the NorCal update, and that's going to wrap us up. So first of all, we got Non-compliant Mary. Non-compliant Mary is a little powerhouse. I met her um, on a conference call that we had with the UCCA, and she was going through a case herself, and and. Um, this little thing has such a positive outlook, always looking at, at, at the, the positive side of everything. And she was going through this case, and she was talking about educating the cops that were giving her grief, and it just warmed my heart. And uh, uh met her in person as I came up to Shasta for a press conference and got a drive from Sacramento up to uh, Reading, and, and we got to spend time together, got to know her story, and ultimately... Um, she has uh, beat her case and stepped up, and she's currently a board member of the Human Solution. And this all happened so quickly, but I saw um, Mary's shining star out there while she was going through the darkest times. And uh, I love the non-compliant um, moniker that she's taken on. And so you're live on the air. Welcome to the show, Mary. Hey there. Hey there, everybody. I am so grateful that the election is over, and I'm grateful that we're not at war with Russia and that there are no nukes coming over. There's so many things to be happy about. I look on Facebook, and I see so much going on back and forth, and I just want to remind everybody that we are one 
human race with lots of opinions and lots of emotion. And I'm right up there at the head of the pack. I've got lots of all of it. (laughs) But united we stand and divided we don't. That's the bottom line. Do you want to move forward as a nation, as as a species, or do you want to infight and die off like the dinosaurs? I don't think it was fighting that took them out, but whatever. <laughs> so we've, we've no, got these right. options in front of us. And um, when I look at what my credentials are to have my really strong opinions, like I say, I've got a lot of them. I was on three shelves of pharmaceuticals. I had three car accidents in one week, all due to the pharmaceuticals, falling asleep at a traffic light at a red light and going through it into a tree and just dumb stuff like that. And I'm off of all of them, all three shelves on nothing except for cannabis, although there's a lot more to my life than cannabis. That's simply one aspect of my health care. I believe in positive thought, moving my body in the sunshine, garden therapy, being of service to others, giving my body time without my mind telling it what's wrong. And there's a lot of things that are within our power. So I encourage everybody that rather than look about what's wrong with the election, Just let's do whatever we can to change it, because if we make no changes, we'll have the same thing in four years, you know, four years of hell, and then we'll we'll do it again. So I say that we can start right now today at this moment and shift it into something that does work, because obviously what we've been doing hasn't been too successful. And the other thing that makes, I think, that makes my opinion valuable to me is that, like Joe was saying, I was a defendant. I was up there for three felonies. And from three felonies, we went to two misdemeanors, then we went to one misdemeanor, then we went to one infraction, and then they dismissed the case because I wouldn't take any of it. Because all we need to do is stand up. Stand up again. United is so much better, but standing up, it's not accepting, not, not letting them. And believe me, I was afraid. I was so afraid. I had many, many tearful nights. But I, I stood up anyway because it's not just me. It's all of us. It's the people behind me that haven't had their case yet. It's the people that haven't been arrested yet. It's the people that don't even know that cannabis cures yet. It's all of us. So when we change our, we're, when we change us from being an income stream to being a financial liability, they're not going to look at us anymore because we're not, we're not worth it. They will find some other ways of, of supplementing their, their budget. And the other thing I wanted to mention is that in addition to jury nullification, there's this thing called a mens rea, which is a guilty mind. A crime has different facets to it. One part of the crime is a guilty mind. You need a victim, you need a guilty mind. I forget what the other one was. But if you don't have a guilty mind and you can show that, and there is no victim, they try to say the state's the victim bullshit. I, we can say that on, on air, can't we, Joe? Yes, <laughs> anyway. we can. <laughs> it's, uh, we are uh, a podcast, and we're not governed, regulated, or taxed by the FCC. Oh, so right, all right. I can't take a joke. Sorry. <laughs> and, and you know, when we, we we can go back to our critical thinking skills, then we can see how this simply doesn't make sense. Now, I realize that the courts don't go by that; they go by policy and procedure. But we can use logic, and we can we can talk to the jury and have that. I, I didn't get an opportunity to do that. I almost wanted to tell them, tell the judge that I don't accept the dismissal, that I want to insist on going to court. <laughs> and um, but I, at the time, my husband was, he was just like giving me the the stink eye. Shut up, Mary. Don't say yeah, a yeah, word. This is going very well. Here, 
So I didn't say anything. I gratefully accepted the dismissal. But again, we can together turn this around. I'm not a proponent of Prop 64 for so many reasons that at this point it's not really that important because we have it. So let's work with what we've got. And the closing thing I wanted to say, because I know there are other people, is let's look at this whole thing as a golf game. I really like Tiger Woods. Uh, Not necessarily what he does in his private life. That's his business. But I love how he plays golf because for him, the only thing in front of him is where that ball is now and where he wants it to be. He could have just had like a sand trap issue or something just a moment ago, but that's behind him because if he were to divide his focus – half of him would be back in the sand trap, and only maybe 75% of Tiger would be at this ball going forward. So I say let's give 100% of us going forward. Let's, not that we forget what's going behind us. Let's learn from it, but then let's set it aside because we take everything we've got here and move forward. So that's what I want to say. Well, and I say those are some good words, good advice, and I would love to see more action follow those words. So thank you so much, Mary. Um, always a pleasure talking to you. I can not say that to very many people, but it is always a pleasure talking to you. <laughs> Likewise. Thank you. Thank you, All everybody, right. for listening. You bet. All right, we've got a few minutes left, and we're going to go a little long today um, because I'm going to give everybody a chance to talk. So we got Lisa Gresham-Gordon, and she's here in Placer County trying to talk about a band. Welcome to the show, Lisa. It's been a while. Welcome back. Hello? Lisa, are you there? Yes, welcome to the show. Hey, Joe, how are you? I, I'm, I'm sorry, doing I fantastic. Didn't... Above ground breathing and currently out of custody. <laughs> well, you know, I'm in beautiful Tehama County on a solstice yes. right now, gathering yes. some supplies and getting ready to move back on to uh, El Dorado County. But yes, I spoke right. in Placer County yesterday we're hoping to um discourage them from placing a ban that only allows them to go indoors in a 50 square foot um radius yeah it's a funny thing about being legal counties can still do whatever they want and they can still say no we don't want it here and uh you know it really doesn't matter what the state law says when the county decides they want to ordain it to be otherwise well, you know, there's been a big division in the cannabis community over Proposition 64, and, and that was brought up also in Placer County that all of these things they were doing, all of these colors that they were putting on this map, were going to go away if Proposition 64 passed, which it did. So not a proponent myself. I think 62 pages in, is entirely too much, and there's too much small print, and there are things I don't like about it. But like Mary said, it's here. It's here, and it is California law now, and so we'll go with that. This is true. This is true. So uh, they, you spoke in front of Placer County, but they haven't voted on this yet. They did not vote on it. They decided to write it out, table it, and wait. Uh, you know, Jennifer Montgomery there, she's been a really, really big proponent of medical cannabis in Placer County, and we really, really appreciate her stepping up for the community we had great speakers there um you know some of our california activists uh proposed some of the products that they have coming forward to help with regulation and now that 64 has passed those kind of things are going to be necessary well there you go (laughs) i I will not interject my opinion about the necessity of those things but 
Um, I will I will let it let it sit there right where you left it. <laughs> We're hoping that it encourages them to um, not to place complete bans and and we were letting them know what's happened since july which is like the cottage license you know that's i mean come on 50 square feet the cottage license is at least 500 square feet so we're hoping that they'll be a little more generous well don't let common sense get in anybody's way over there because you know it is a plant after all (laughs) and uh, we don't want anybody uh, to be overwhelmed by its plantness uh, well, Lisa, uh, I, we are running short on time, but please uh, call okay. in next week uh, with an update in, or whenever there is an update. And uh, we're actually running on overtime now. So we got time for Tom Corby and the NorCal report. And I'm not going to put any restriction on you. I know you are not a man of brevity, and I know you do your best to keep things succinct as you can. So welcome to the show, Tom Corby. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, you too, Joe, and I want to thank you and all the folks on the front line, uh, Mary Donnelly and Michael, uh, winning their case in Roseville, uh, and uh, Mike today for screening, health screening. Uh, nice to have Lisa Wolvers also aboard. She's awesome. Yeah, got a nice team going on. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll we talk about, I don't know where to start here. Uh, try to cut the brevity. Uh, we talk about AUMA. Of course, you know, you saw my post. You know that uh, Joe and I always say that all legalization is just uh, more prohibition sources. Uh, AUMA is pro- like prohibition number two. Uh, and it kind of screws us, Mom. On the other hand, now that I really look, start looking deep into it, Chris Conrad, of course, he's a proponent. Uh, I respect Chris so much. Uh, when I was at, uh, at Pierce Hayes, probable uh, uh, cause hearing, we always challenge the warrant on probable cause. We always come with a 995 dismissal. Uh, it was, it was kind of a historical day in, in the courthouse. Uh, many attorneys and PDs that all know me come up. Uh, and I said, what about AUMA? All these cases now are misdemeanors. I said, are you shitting me? Excuse me for my language. Uh, I don't need that. Uh, no, that's I okay. Said, You're on a podcast. <laughs> well, uh, uh, and that's nice that people can go to the archives and get all the past shows. Uh, at the human uh International, of course, now. Uh, anyway, uh my point being is, is that we're always shooting for uh, uh, when they're making these uh, felony robber misdemeanors that Joe knows that screw you is why he continued his case for two years, went back to jail twice. Uh, now, if, if these cases are already, I'm supposed to understand, are you telling me these cases are now misdemeanors? Now, that's, and then we're going to have. Uh, POW's release, well, let's see if that comes true. Uh, so there's quite a bit of excitement inside the courtrooms. And then at the you know, Pierce Hayes uh, hearing, I talked about Eric Pierce, how Alex Fine met him in jail. Uh, he spent 30 days. Alex spent 40 days in jail. Uh, he met him there for what? For trimming. Well, Joseph Tully, another one of our uh, savvy top attorneys, will tell you, yes, 
trimming is part of cultivation. That's what he's being charged with. Always uh, possession, uh, yeah, intent to sell. Uh, so uh, that's the other side of AMA and uh, the good side. And we always bring out, we just hope that that any initiative, uh, any... Uh, uh, well, you know, Tom, before, before you move on, one of the things that I find interesting is that uh, there's, you know, people believe that Northern California, <clears throat> you know, there's every, all the good pot comes out of Northern California, and, and it's just growing wild everywhere. Everybody's growing pot in Northern California. Nobody ever gets in trouble. But the truth is the lion's share of our cases have come out of Northern California, north of Sacramento, all the way up to Shasta. And my question is, if Prop 64 does everything everybody said it was going to, then all these cases that you know about and are supporting should just disappear then, right? Well, that's what I understand. I'm not sure. Let's see. I doubt if they will. Let's let's see what happens. If if you don't find out that they just get dropped, my guess is that we're going to find out that we got fooled again. I think of that old Who song, Won't Get Fooled Again, but we keep doing it. Well, exactly, and also... Uh, I talk about Alex Lyons' case and D.A. Jennings being the exception to the D.D.A. rule. Uh, also, we have the pain I've talked about her before. Uh, she used to be she's a knockout, first of all, always open the door. And uh, she actually took a picture, that picture of the court supporters one day. Uh, she was uh, she used to be a defense attorney. Uh, I didn't know. I just found out that there, uh, Eric Pierce today, uh, which actually is living up with Alex Lyons here, is my neighbor, uh, that uh, Leah Payne, uh, he was a prosecuting attorney. Uh, so here we are talking about it, and here she comes. I said, ah, and Alex is there supporting uh, uh, Eric Pierce. Uh, we talked about his case. Uh, uh, anyway, so I said, uh, Leah, I said, uh, so uh, a couple of the other attorneys I talked to in the PDs, uh, I said, well, now, if this is true, and we're always looking for dismissals, and Joel Grumbine will tell you he might have uh, gone ahead and resolved his case had he got a Wobbler dismissal on the end uh, after completing probation. That's okay. Uh, and sometimes we pay, have to pay a few dues, and most of the time, some, and Alex will agree, uh, he was out of line, but not, not to send people to jail. So number, bottom line here, Joe, it seems to me uh, that uh, you're not a felon. I mean, that's huge. See if this well, let's see, let's, see, let's see if it happens, number one. Uh, the problem that's is, exactly. and this is what's happened in every other state that's passed these laws, is it doesn't happen. And they come back and they say, well, you weren't following this. You were doing something else. And yeah, it's a bait and switch. Exactly. And, you know, hopefully hopefully I'll be wrong. I, I want desperately to be wrong. I want desperately to be out of a job as the CEO of the Human Solution. I want to be a guy who just cares about the world and don't have to worry about people getting locked up for pot anymore. But, unfortunately, I fear that I I have another shift in, in front of me. <laughs> exactly. And, of course, we always say that we hope at least uh, legalization, uh, re-legalizations, or at least steps to end prohibition. This is our bottom line goal and vision. And we have to get the feds out. Uh, uh, as long as the feds are in, and it's in Schedule 1, actually any schedule, uh, 
They always bring in a course. They always use it against us. Uh, still a Schedule One drug, and also uh, again. Uh, also, uh, when we talk about the medicine, uh, I've been using cannabis. Now they're using it. All the judges are using the word cannabis now. We know that marijuana is a made-up word of song to scare you. We for madness, we know that. So now cannabis has been used. And uh, I've been using cannabis for almost 50 years. Think about it. Uh, well, you must be in hell by now. Well, and what I'm thinking about is uh, <laughs> my mom's died. Uh, both all have died from cancer. Uh, and I, and uh, maybe it's why I haven't got cancer. And because uh, I'm getting the cannabinoids my system needs. So that's uh, so I've been uh, been using it since 1967. So next year will be 50 years. And when I first smoked, I realized it was at Sambo's or one of those uh, fast food. And we went and eat. I could not believe how good food tastes. And I was looking at everybody around. They don't have a clue. First time, and that was in '67. Uh, in Reno, Reno, Nevada, where I was a crap dealer at Harris Club. Anyway, what 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 the medicine does for me, uh, it gives me an over well feeling of well being. Uh, it, it just enlightens me, and in fact, instead of uh, it motivates me, uh, gets me, and it helps use my depression. So I I really feel that cannabis is is not uh, the uh, ex, uh, gateway drug, but the exit drug, because I did it myself. I was on back when they had me on four phar- uh, pharmaceuticals. Uh, I was doing uh, too much alcohol, uh, doing some t- tooting up, and that's funny. Quit all that, thank God. And my cigarettes 45 years ago, uh, I don't think I'd be alive today without cannabis. Uh, that's another reason, again, uh, Lisa brought out, Lisa Warridge uh, has been brought out today as why, why we do coffee because we are all patients. And believe me, uh, I didn't know. Back then, I was just, uh, I just thought getting high, well, you know, getting high. What's, what is getting high? And they make making bad for getting high. Your body's getting the cannabinoids it needs. Uh, it relates to our health. We brought out also, uh, the very Donnelly brought out, that we have to take care of our house. I'm, I'm very healthy. I'm very active. I'm out all day. Uh, I eat organically, fruits and salads that, that alcoholize my body. And with cannabis, well, I'm going to be 74 years old this, this March, uh, March 6th, uh, is because of cannabis. Uh, and also, uh, we, I have a, a tape on it. Donna's uh, uh, got me to see this tape uh, on, on, a, on a, a sports channel. Uh, the football player, <coughs> it was an awesome take. Uh, the thread was uh, uh, about all the, the, the using cannabis for their pain. And uh, more than one come up and talk that they believe that at least 70 or more of all the players are using cannabis rather them farms and oxycodone, vicodin, which we know are just synthetic heroin. Uh, and we know that uh, farms kill and cannabis heals hasn't killed anyone. Uh, so I want to thank everybody today and uh, come join 
as helping the solution uh, to end prohibition uh, for all POWs and defendants. Well, once you go to jail for this plan, and believe me, it is a medicinal in fact. Uh, thank you, Joe, everybody today. Uh, as Donald, my wife would say, uh, and don't forget to breathe. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> All right, Tom. Well, always a pleasure, and uh, we'll talk to you next time, folks. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse the human solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Have said, Tom, you were always on my mind.